Welcome to Banyan Books, Branches of Wisdom. Celebrating the joy of bright ideas and heartful lifelong learning. Branches of Wisdom is a series of intimate conversations with the world's most influential authors and visionaries. We explore spirituality and the human mind, ecology and culture. Most episodes are recorded with a live audience. You can join our live events and submit questions to your favorite guests. Check out our upcoming schedule at banyan.com. Since 1970, Banyan Books has been a rich oasis at the crossroads of wisdom and philosophy, offering resources for humanity's evolving paths. We're a locally owned, independent bookstore in the heart of Vancouver's Kitsilano neighborhood. Visit us in person or shop online at banyan.com. Please subscribe, follow, like, and leave your reviews for the podcast. And now, enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Branches of Wisdom, the Banyan Books podcast. I'm your host, Ross McKeechee, and I'm really excited today to be joined by our special guest, Richard Rosen. Before I get to his introduction, Banyan Books acknowledges that although we have people joining us from all over the world for these live stream events, the physical location of Banyan Books and Sound is on the traditional and unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Our guest today is Richard Rosen, who is one of America's most influential authors on yoga practice and philosophy. He began his practice of modern postural hatha yoga in 1980 in Berkeley, California. In 1982, he enrolled in the teacher training program at the BKS Iyengar Yoga Institute in San Francisco, graduating in 1985. In 87, with two friends, one of them, Rodney Yi, he opened the Piedmont Yoga Studio in Oakland, California, which closed its doors for the last time after 27 years in 2014. Richard is a contributing editor at Yoga Journal Magazine, to which he has contributed countless articles and columns over the past quarter century. He serves as the president of the board of directors for the Yogadana Foundation. Richard has also had Parkinson's disease for over 21 years and continues to teach yoga and pranayama. He's the author of six books on yoga, five of them published by Shambhala, The Yoga of Breath, Yoga for 50 Plus, Pranayama, Beyond the Fundamentals, Original Yoga, and Yoga FAQ. And today, Richard Rosen is with Banyan Books in conversation about his newest book, which is titled Yoga by the Numbers, The Sacred and Symbolic in yoga philosophy and practice. Numbers play a meaningful role in the philosophy of many spiritual traditions, and yoga is no exception. In this book, with his distinctive blend of knowledge and humor, Richard Rosen unpacks the fascinating significance that numbers hold in the philosophy and practice of yoga. Banyan Books community, please join me in a very warm welcome for Richard Rosen. Hello, Richard. Thanks so much for being here. What a nice introduction. Well, thank you. It's really nice to have you here. I've been excited all week thank to speak you. with you. Yeah. Thank you. 
So in the introduction of this, this really fascinating book, Richard, um, you mentioned in the acknowledgments, you, you mentioned your late friend and mentor, Georg Fürstein, and you say his spirituality by the numbers provided the inspiration for this book. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with, with him and how this book inspired your own? Georg was a scholar scholar. I mean, he, he ran off to a, um, an ashram when he was 17 in the Black Forest in Germany. And he was writing academic books on, on Yoga Sutra when he was like in his 20s. I was still collecting baseball cards. And um, we met in, in the late, uh, mid, or mid or late 90s when I did an interview with him for Yoga Journal. And uh, we, 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 as a couple of yoga nerds, we hit it off pretty well. So I was associated with him for quite a while till, till he passed away in night, uh, was about 10, 12 years ago now. He was a, he was a very interesting man. Very interesting man. He was he was a he was a he was a um, a very knowledgeable scholar. You could ask him anything about yoga, and he he had, he had an answer for it. Neat, and and I know that Banyan has a lot of his books on on the shelf in our in our yoga section. They're popular books as well. Yeah. Now, in the introduction of the book, you you talk about the two questions that you needed to answer before you could proceed in writing. And I'm quoting you here. You said, one, among all the numbers stuffing my computer's memory, which should I include and why? And two, under each general number, which specific instances of that number should I include and why? So how did you go about answering those questions and, and what conclusions did you come up with? Well, it was, it was, a, it was, it was an interesting situation. There were I knew there were numbers in yoga, but I didn't realize how many numbers there were. And I was kind of overwhelmed when I started figuring out how many numbers there were. But I, I finally came to the conclusion that I would go zero through 10 and, uh, you know, focus on those numbers. But use, take opportunities during the course of the, of the book to inject other important numbers like, well, of course, 108, 84, 72, things like uh, 18, numbers like that. I... Um, yeah, and then I had to make a decision about which 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 numbers to to, to use it, uh, to to take out to take out for the book, and um, I wanted it to be relevant. I wanted the, the numbers to, to have a, a relevance for for, for, for for modern readers, but I also wanted to inject a few things that were sort of off the beaten off the beaten trail and you know, have a little fun with them. So I I, I lean mostly toward mainstream things, but um, I also injected a few things that were kind of of interesting and fun I, I like to have a little humor in my books yeah there's a lot of humor i i, I had a, a few good laughs actually and um a lot of interesting off the beaten track kind of points that i that i never had heard about um being a student of yoga myself so i really found it fascinating what was your research process like i mean like how many how many scriptures texts did you have to consult lots <laughs> I, I have a I have a pretty large yoga library. I've been collecting books for on yoga for like forty years now, and uh, they're all over the place. They're in they're in my room. They're in the, they're in the, in the in the living room here and in, in the garage up in the attic somewhere. I don't know where exactly. Um, so I have a lot of books to go to when I need them, and um, um, I, I'm really I, I, you know I um, I don't know what to say to that. There were just a lot of books. I, the one I the one I used quite a bit was was called the Universal. History of of numbers. It was by a, a French man, George. If if if, if I can't remember his name, 
but it was very useful. Universal, Universal History of Numbers, it was called, I believe. Right. And it was a very useful book for numbers. It had a large section in the, on numbers in India. Okay, okay. Now, speaking of India, uh, in chapter one, which is titled Zero, the Void by the Numbers, um, you tell us that Indian culture is where the number zero was invented or discovered. Although it's disputed who actually first put the number forward, I'm curious about the significance of zero as a number and why it was the yogis of India who were so suited to discover. You, you, zero is a mystery. It, zero is at the center of the universe, and um, it's a, it's a it's a point of potential. Everything comes out of nothing, as far as the yogis are concerned. And the reason why they, the reason why the the, the number was discovered in India was because a lot of those surrounding cultures were. A little bit leery of, of zero, they of, of nothingness. There, there, there was a there was a, a reluctance to include nothingness in, the, in their numbering system, but the Indians were looking for nothingness. In, in effect, they were looking to clear out their minds, and um, you know, um, experience experience a, 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 an empty mind, a zero mind. And so they were not they were not afraid of, of, of having a, a zero. They were in fact they were looking for zero. Um, and, and there's one author that claimed that that, that look for that, that search for zero in India was was one of the uh, one of the um, reasons why zero was was invented in India. Their minds were so focused on it through their spiritual practice. Exactly. I'm going to share a quote here that I really liked. Um, you said. We might say then that zero is both the focus and expression of the yogi's tireless quest for the self, which they call Atman Brahman. Yeah. Renu Jaina, a professor of mathematics at Jawaji University in Gwalior, affirms that the idea of spiritual nothingness led to mathematical zero, yeah. adding that the word used in philosophical texts to mean nothing or the void is shunya, the same word later used to mean zero. Right. You also share a little story about the etymology of zero and how how shunya became zero. Can you share a little bit about that? I like etymology. I when I when I find a word that I like that I'm interested in, I usually look at, 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 its, at, its, at its past, with how it developed over time. And so I looked into zero, and I, I found that it was a string of European languages that. That it passed through, but I came to the end where, where the source of the word, and it was a, it was a um, 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 an Arabian word, and it was it, it came it came from a, a time when the um, there was a, a visitor from India to the to the um, to the to the uh, to the um, uh, to the court of Baghdad, and 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 the um, and the, the the Sultan there, he told the Sultan there about his his text, which was written by Brahma Gupta about zero or had zero in it anyway. And the, uh, the Sultan then had it translated into, into uh, Arabic, I guess. And, as, and when the, uh, the translator came to the word Shunya, he interpreted it as, I can't pronounce it, but it's spelled S-I-F-R, Cipher, I guess, I don't know. And so from there it developed into Cipher, which is another word for zero. And, uh, and then it eventually, be, eventually became the word zero. That's so neat to see how. So every time we say the word zero, we're, we're, we're going back to Shunya, actually. Are there a lot of words? I've, I've learned about a few words. In your, in your research and studies, have you found there are a lot of words in the English language that trace back to Sanskrit? 
Oh, lots, lots and lots. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, a lot of lot of nose, naza, uh, belly button, nabi. Um, there's, there's just there's just there's a lot of words are uh, that are rooted in in Sanskrit. Right, right. I remember one of the ones I remember is muka mouth too. Muka, yeah, yeah, right. Um, I, I'm wondering if you can explain a little bit to our audience about the relationship between the number zero shunya and the concept or the non-concept of Brahman. Brahman is, um, how can I say this? Brahman is the the source of, of everything there is, in, in, according to some schools of yoga. But Brahman surpasses any kind of description. He's words they say fall back from Brahma when they, when they try to approach. So it's, it, it, for a, an average person, Brahman is, is nothing, is zero. He, he, it, it, I should say, has no, has no, um, has no qualities. And so there's no way to describe Brahman in, for, for, for the average person. It's just, it's just zero. And there's this concept of Nirguna and Saguna Brahman. Can you explain the, the difference between Nirguna and Saguna? Nirguna means having no qualities. And that's, that's the, that's the, that's the, that's the um, existent that is um, imminent, uh, uh, transcendent, has no contact with, 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 with nature, with, with the world. Saguna is sort of like the creator, like um, Nirguna's right-hand man. Saguna means with qualities. And Saguna is the one that does all the work creating the, creating the world and often becomes a personal god of, 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 the, of, the, of the people. Okay, so as practitioners of yoga, there's these two streams. There's Nirguna and Saguna Brahman. So how does the approach uh, to yoga or self-realization differ with the Nirguna or the Saguna Brahman practices or path? The mantra for Nirguna is neti neti. It's not this and not that. And so for, 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 for Nirguna, you're constantly distancing yourself from everything or everything around you. If you can name it, it's not Brahman. And so you're withdrawing your, your, um, your, your attachments, your associations, essentially with the world. Since Brahman is um, transcendent, um, neti neti is can break. It breaks down into two words. It means na iti. When you when you when you combine those two words, it becomes neti. And so saguna Brahman is iti, iti. It's all this. And so in one in one in one in one uh, in one way you distance yourself, and in another way you associate yourself with the world because. The world is is that is is Saguna Brahman. And that's the that, that's the mantra for Saguna. Iti iti. This 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 this. Right. So Nirguna is neti neti. Saguna iti iti. Iti iti. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. So in chapter two, which is titled "Indian Philosophy by the Numbers: Monism, Dualism, and Triadism" or Traika. Um, it seems pertinent for our audience's understanding to have an overview on monoism, dualism, and, and triadism. So what are kind of the basics that we should understand here about Indian philosophy with those three streams? Okay, well, monism is, is uh, everything has a, has, a, has a single source. Everything is united in Brahman. That, that's fairly simple. I mean, the way we look at the world, the, what, the first thing you, that happens to you when you wake up in the morning before you 
before you become conscious of your uh, of anything is, is you realize that there's there's a there's a split between you me and everything else there's a natural way the, our natural way of looking at the world is, is dualistic i'm in here and you're out there and everything else is out there and so it's it's very difficult for some people to um, conceive of the of the idea that everything is, is joined together you look out the window sometimes you see trees and dogs and kids on skateboards and you kind of figure how, how how all that is joined together but of course it's all joined together through the through the self through atman which is um you know a little spark uh, from brahman um so pneumonism is everything is is one everything is one dualism from the classical system is um everything is two um and that's um divided between the self and um, nature matter and uh, with 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 classical yoga you you don't you, you you try to distance yourself from from nature from 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 the world around you and separate yourself out from 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 your associations with matter uh, triadism is the best of all worlds um, the world is real the triad is is Shiva Shakti and and you us and you try to then you 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 see that the uh, you see that the world is is real it's not it's not an illusion and um then you try to um, associate yourself with ev with everything with the world with 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 the world through your practice um uh um of yoga and i think that 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 that, that that's the one that 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 suits me the best to 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 to, to take yourself out and and um and appreciate the world as, as 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 yourself and treat the world as yourself so in a way it's identifying with the world as yourself but also acknowledging that there is other is that is that right right um that's exactly right um you, uh, shiva is the is the passive element is is is, is the witness is the light and, and shakti is the creative element it, it's it's a kind of a, a flip on the usual western view of masculine feminine principles that in, in in this in this way of looking at the world the masculine is it's a passive and the feminist is is the active and she creates the world they, 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 there's really no difference between shiva and shakti i mean they're, they're the same thing we just talk about them for uh, two things for convenience and so um in in essence you become shiva and you watch you 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 become enthralled with with the world around you because it's it's the dance of the, of the goddess What are some some examples of of these different streams, like in within traditions that we might recognize? So, for example, like where does Vedanta fit in? Is that a, a monistic? Tradition? Absolutely, Vedanta is, is monist. Um, it's there's three texts that are well, three three yeah three texts that are that are essential for the, for, for monism. And that is Bhagavad Gita for one, the Brahma Sutras, um, which is not a well known text. And the and the Vedic Upanishads, there's about eleven or twelve of them that that, that are important for for um, for Vedanta. Um, for, for of course, you know this for 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 classical yoga, for dualism, it's the Yoga Sutra, which was compiled by Patanjali in third or fourth century BC AD. Um, for for triadism, it would be the Shiva uh, the Shiva Sutras, um, which was a book that was. It was it was it was found by a a, a yogi named Vasugupta, Vasugupta, 
and written down. And it, 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 it essentially says everything is consciousness. And you, you fit yourself into that, into that, into that consciousness. What about some of the different Buddhist traditions? I know Banyan, our audience, we tend to have a lot of students of Buddhism here. For instance, like uh, like a Vajrayana Buddhist uh, stream or something like that. I'm 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 not well up on Buddhism. Oh, okay, talk, okay. You, you, I get my wife out from the bedroom and she can oh. tell you all about Buddhism. <laughs> we, we'll have a, we have a we have, we have a practice room that's divided down the middle. The yogis are on one side and the Buddhists are on the other. <laughs> <laughs> in in chapter four, uh, Shiva and Shakti by the numbers. We've been speaking of this this dualism and Shiva Shakti and and Shiva and his fives. Um, in, in section four of, of that chapter, uh, you talk about Shiva and his five actions or Kritya, and you write the following, you say, it wouldn't be an exaggeration to call Shiva the Lord of fives. He has five aspects or faces, Pancha Anana, five actions, Pancha Kritya, five cloaks, Pancha Kankuka, five components and five powers. The, there are five syllables or pancha akshara in his main mantra, nama shivaya. Yeah. And then you go on to write, in considering Shiva's fives, we also have to digress and consider the Hindi triple form, trimurti. Can you explain that to us? So first, what are the, the pancha kritya? Maybe we can start with that. Shiva is considered to be the creator, the sustainer, and the, I don't want to say destroyer, but he he reabsorbs the world at the end of its at the end of its life cycle. Now in in India, it's important to remember that 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 time is cyclical. In in the West, it's it's linear. I mean, there's there's a creation, the world happens, and then at the end, it it comes to an end. And as far as I know from from reading the the Old Testament and the New Testament, things come to an end, and everybody goes up either to heaven or hell. But in in India, time is um, cyclical and. and there's one creation follows another for and, and the, the, the creation each world lasts for billions and billions of years so um shiva at the end of the life cycle of, of, a, of, a, of a world reabsorbs the world back into the primal matrix and recycles it and then recreates another world that, for, out of that out of that material the other two are um the other two are, uh, he is, is called um can't think of the sanskrit shiva hides himself to be able to create the world it's like it's like a um, there's a, a, a power pole outside my house here that has a transformer on it, and so the electricity is passed through the transformer and then fit, fit into the house so that it steps down the electricity so it won't, won't blow up my my circuits. And that's what Shiva does. He he hides himself from from himself and, and creates the world, and then he goes looking for himself in the world. And then the third, the fifth one is this grace. He, 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 you, he, we always have uh, Shiva's grace waiting for us. Now he took over those three functions: creation, sustenance, and and and, and I hate to say the word destruction, but that's what it is. From the from the trimurti, from the from the from the trinity, from Brahma, Brahma, who is the um, the creator deity, and Vishnu, who is the sustainer, and then Shiva was the third one in that trimurti, who was the recycler, I guess. Right. Okay. Great. Now. Uh, five seems like it's a, a big number. It comes up a lot. 
Is would you say that's one of the numbers that you saw the most in in your research, or one of the numbers? Yeah, but a, a lot of those numbers are, are, are fairly common. Three is very common too, in in a, in a lot of different ways. Um, seven was also common, but yeah, five is right up there. I mean, I, I can't really say which one was the most common, but certainly five is is among them. So, uh, one is also very. Well, I mean, you know, it's, now I'm getting into a, the thicket here. Um, they, they're all pretty significant. Yeah, probably probably five and three and. I don't know. Five and three are very significant numbers. They're right up there, yeah. Well, in chapter eight, stages and obstacles by the number, you talk about the panchaklesha. And I'm really interested about, about the panchaklesha. Can you give us give us an overview of the panchaklesha, the five causes of suffering, um, according to yeah. Patanjali in the Yoga Sutras? Well, the first one, the big one, the, the papa klesha is, uh, is, is avidya. Avidya means to know and avidya means not to know. And what that what that what that means is that you don't know who you are. I, I hope I'm not upsetting anybody out there that's listening. But according to Patanjali, we are um, uh, uh, we are the Purusha, with with the self, which is a you know, an immaterial, static, eternal um, entity. I and mean, the entity is not the right word, but um, and so. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so avidya is 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 the idea that we we are who we are that self, but we don't know that, and and that that's the, that that's the that's the source of of suffering because we know in our hearts that we are the self, but um, we're not conscious of it, but we but. Um, there's something that there's something that, that that's that sort of that, that sort of um, hints at the hints at the fact that we're the self and that we're missing out on that, and that creates that creates a sorrow. I prefer to call it sorrow rather than suffering. Suffering is kind of a kind of a um, an, an extreme word, but we feel we feel sad. We know something in our life is missing, but we don't know quite what, and we try to fill it up with other things, like money or or possessions or fame or whatever. And of course, it doesn't work. It, it, it's, it's, an, it's a bottomless pit. We just keep shoveling stuff into it. And uh, it, it's, it's just not, it's ne never going to uh, fill it up. So avidya is, is the main, is the main klesha. And then there is four friends. Um, two, two go together pretty closely, raga and dvesha. Um, and that's things that you want, things that you don't want. Uh, and that's, you know, that's, that's, that comes out of the ignorance, things that you, things that you think will, that will help you and things that you think that will, won't help you, you, you push away. But so uh, Raga Devesha, uh, uh, um, grabbing and, and pushing away. The, the next one is um, called Asmita, which is egoism. And that, of, and that again is a, is a problem because you, you, you visualize yourself as a separate individual and you're not ultimately, you're, 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 you're the self. And so you 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 you're you're stuck in your ego, and then the last one is abhinavesha, uh, uh, which means it means going toward it means going toward dwelling. In other words, you you cling to life, and in, in the classical system, I hate to say this, but that's a problem. Um, you 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 you're trying to dis distance yourself from your life because it's it, it creates suffering or sorrow anyway, and so. Um, um, Benavesha is 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 clean. Even Patanjali says even the wise wise ones cling to life. Uh, 
I want to zone in on this, Abhinivesha. Uh, you say that this clinging to life is an obstacle. And, and I'm quoting you here. You say, this yoga, remember, is, uh, I, I think you're referring to Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. This yoga, remember, is focused on withdrawal from normal human connection, from movement and breathing, from matter itself, including when the time comes of having attained the nosebleed heights of the eighth limb, our material body. From our very limited self-ignorant perspective, this is what we call death. From the yogi's enlightened view, however, this is kaivalya, isolation. Such is one of the necessary outcomes of Patanjali's dualism, in which the self is favored over nature. And you go on to mention that the practice of modern yoga has moved off in the opposite direction. Thank goodness. <laughs> can we discuss that direction a little bit and what Abhinivesha can look like within that context? Sure. You know, Abhi means to go toward and Nivesha means to dwell. It means in, in, in modern yoga, you go toward life. You, you, you encourage life. You live your life to the fullest rather than withdrawing from it. And that's the way I feel about modern yoga. Um, modern yoga is, is life affirming, whereas many of the older um, Indian schools were life, life denying. And so I, I really feel that Abhinavesha can be turned around and, and made a positive force in interpreting as going toward your life and, 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 and entering into, into it fully. And is it, is it, am I right in thinking that this is more of a tantric perspective than where we're actually bringing, bringing ourselves so fully into life that you transcend through that going into? Yeah, because the life, in, in, in classical yoga, matter is 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 ignorant is is, is nescient it has no self-awareness that's provided by the purusha by the self but in 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 triadism in trika the world is is, is is the body of the goddess and it's filled with intelligence and creativity and so you want to enter into that and experience it to the fullest that's what shiva wants you to do okay moving on to a, a huge topic this is a huge, a huge area of discussion, dharma and karma. Um, <laughs> How yeah. much time do we have? Yeah, exactly. So I'm just wondering, can you, can you just give a little bit of an explanation for our audience as to the depth and breadth of the Indian <laughs> culture's understanding around dharma and karma? Dharma means, um, means, it means holding, something like holding. There's two dharmas. There's a dharma of the universe. The universe runs according to a, a certain set of rules, which is called dharma. And each one of us has a dharma as well. Well, we, it, it, well, in, in classical tradition, in the, in the traditional, in the tr yoga tradition, everybody has a dharma, which is determined by their caste. And so your your behavior is in, is in large uh, part determined by which which dharma you you belong to, which dharma you have. For example. In the uh, in the Bhagavad Gita, which I, which you know well, Arjuna at first doesn't want to fight. He doesn't want to kill his his relatives, his his, his teachers, or whatever. And um, Krishna is flabbergasted. He says, "You you can't not do that. You're 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 a kshatriya. You're a warrior, and your dharma is to fight." And so he goes on, as you know, to to convince um, Arjuna that's the right thing to do. So. Um, that said that it, to do your own dharma poorly is better than to do someone else's dharma well. And so um, your, your dharma 
is 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 you, the universe keeps an eye on you make sure that you fulfill your dharma and if you do that's that puts you in tune with the universe the universe likes that very much but if you if you go against your dharma then the universe doesn't like that at all and you get you build up karma because of that and, and then you have to you have to work off that karma it's a it's a, it's a karmic debt the problem with that is that it, that you just keep generating more karma as you try to work off what you've already accumulated. Uh, one of the one of the things that you you explain is you talk about interested and disinterested action. What are what are those two interested and disinterested action? Well, I don't know. I I I know what interested in disinterested action is. I don't know how to do it exactly, but um, interested action is when you want something for what you're doing. You want you 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 do something and you expect a result, and that that builds up karma. Disinterested action is something that you do as a, as a as a as a sort of a, a sacrifice or a gift to the deity, but you don't expect anything from it, and that doesn't build that that doesn't build karma. You you you're free of karma if all of your actions are disinterested. Okay, and and there's this principle that the karma we generate is what leads us to reincarnation to be reborn yeah absolutely how does that work exactly <laughs> good question um but like i say you have a karmic debt you build it up as you live and usually one life isn't enough to pay off the debt and the 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 the, the universe is like a bank they expect to be paid back eventually and so um you've got to re reincarnate to work off the the the, the, the karmic debt and that, like I said, the problem is once you reincarnate, you you accumulate more debt. So it's it's like it, 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 you just keep going back to life. You keep reincarnating, trying to get work off the debt, but you're just building up more and more debt all the time. So the the, the solution is to you know break free of that of that um, of that of that samsara it's called, and stop generating karma. And I have to say that you know some people say it's good karma, but karma is karma. If you, good karma, bad karma is all the same in the end. I mean, bad karma has bad uh, consequences in your next life. If you generate a lot of bad karma, you, you get demoted to it, like, like a dog or a cat or whatever. But in this country, being a dog is not so bad. Uh, but um, yeah, you, 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 wanna, you don't want good karma particularly. I mean, it's better than bad karma, but karma is karma. And you're going to reincarnate because of it no matter what. I've heard it, I've heard it said that... Um the karma itself isn't what leads us to rebirth. It's that our attachment to our actions and their results, which I think is what you were pointing to with the disinterested action. Is it not? Right. Well, the, 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 the attachment creates karma and that's what, that's what, that's what causes us to reincarnate. I'm not, I'm not so sure that's so bad. I, I wouldn't mind being reincarnated. I like being alive. <laughs> Can you tell us about the three states of karma? Sanjita, Prarabdha and um, Agami karma? Well, the first one is just what you, the karma you're carrying around in your backpack. And then you, you just, you just accumulate over, over how many incarnations you've gone through. The second karma is the one that's operative in your life now. And that karma has determined, you know, um, the quality of your life, how long you'll be living. I mean, the, the karma, that, the, the, the present karma controls your life. It determines what's going to happen to you. And the, um, the last one is just future karma that's that's gonna, that's going to come up uh, in your next in your next um, that's going to be uh, manifested in, in, in a life down the road. 
So you're 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 karmicked up, no matter which way you go, back or forth. You'll always have that karma uh, following you around. There's no. And that's one of the that's that's one of the one of the goals of, of classical yoga is to withdraw from the karma. In in other words, to to bring yourself to a place where you're no longer generating karma. Exactly. Like through, through withdrawal. To separate you. It, to separate yourself out from 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 matter. And 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 so not not being involved in, in the world, you don't you don't generate any more karma. I'm wondering if I can hone in on on what you said. This this seems like a big theme that runs through this book. Actually, is your discussion around the classical form where we're withdrawing from matter versus more the tantric approach, or what you're saying in the modern yoga world, more where we're entering the world. And you just you just mentioned I, I don't know if it's so bad I like being alive reincarnating, um, what what is what is your interest around that in terms of is is this something that has been a an ongoing point of debate or just a different ideology through the yogic system for since the beginning or is this in your eyes is this something that's that's newer? You mean reincarnation? No, I, I mean the difference between um, the difference between withdrawing from matter and and entering matter, and what's it's, more it's, preferable in terms of life. Well, uh, in the older the older schools of yoga were, like I said earlier, body uh, body negative. You know, the Upanishads is, are the same way. They 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 they, uh, they don't they don't like being embodied. They 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 have some very horrible things to say about being embodied. The, the Yoga Sutra also feels that embodiment is is, is suffering or sorrow anyway, um, and so uh, the, the the point of these practices is to withdraw to get away from sorrow because um, it, it's it's kind of it's kind of like um, you're alive and you're you 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 there's there's times when you're not feeling so well and there's times when you're feeling better um, it, rather than Rather than accepting the fact that life has its issues, its problems, you 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 just sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater and just withdraw from life altogether. But um, in 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 the um, in the tantric view, the world is a beautiful place. Uh, well, it could be anyway, I suppose. And um, you're not interested in in um, in leaving it. You, you, there's there's a difference between videha mukti and jiva mukti. Videha mukti is bodiless um, um, re release, freedom. And that means leaving the world. Jivan Mukti means you, you, you reach a light, enlightenment and you decide, well, this is a great place to be. I'm going to stay around as much as I want. And so you get these, these stories of these yogis who've lived for hundreds and hundreds of years roaming through the universe at, at will. So there's a list of it in, in, in the Hatha Pajipika in the first chapter, there's 30 or 35 of them. And have those, have those masters or beings... Have they are they said to have gone beyond suffering, even though they're living an embodied existence? Yeah, that's yeah. They're 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 free, free of suffering, and they have they have magical powers. And um, I mean, I don't know anybody like that, but um, that's that's what Patanjali, uh, not Patanjali, um, Swatmarama probably did. I'm wondering if we could jump a little bit and talk about some of the the common um, distortions that we might see in terms of how yoga is being taught and practiced in our modern western culture um what have you seen as some of the bigger distortions or misunderstandings about yogic philosophy or culture i i, I wouldn't use the word distortion um that that, that that's really not fair okay. um um 
Yoga in India is, is an old man, right? It's been around for at least 2,500 years, probably more. But yoga in this country is, is a baby, right? It's, it's like um, maybe, well, um, Vivekananda is usually credited with bringing yoga to this country, but that's, that's sort of a, not true. I mean, yoga in this country is probably 80 years old, maybe, at, at the most. Um, Indra Devi brought, well, that's not true, but it's less, it's, it's maybe 100 years old, let's say. And so we're babies, yoga babies. And so um, we're, we're feeling our way in, into what yoga really is. And, and, and obviously, too, yoga has been transplanted into a new environment. And when that happens, I mean, think of the differences between, between Patanjali's India and today. I mean, the, 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 the differences are enormous. And so it's inevitable that that um, that yoga has to undergo some kind of change, and people are sort of feeling their way, um, in, in, in trying to find new ways. Of course, there's a little bit of exploitation going on in that in, in, in that too. But Georg um, never really cared for modern yoga. He never really talked about it very much. He he was a true spiritual person, and he 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 was uh, he was just he he didn't, he didn't he didn't like modern what modern yoga was all about at all. But modern yoga is, is, is helping people get into the practice and helping people to understand that their bodies better. And I think postural yoga is, is very important for, 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 for different reasons. Okay, I hear what you're saying. I'm, I'm wondering, like um, you mentioned there's some um, appropriation or uh, one of the things, and you just talked about, you know, the, the very physical oriented practice is helping bring people to the, to the deeper understanding. Can we hone in on that a little bit and and just talk about? Let's say I'm someone who's fairly new to yoga and I'm I'm going to a studio and practicing and I'm enjoying the physical, the very physical oriented practice. It feels great in my body. Um, what would you say to someone who's curious to understand uh, what a different approach to yoga might look like? To be introduced to the idea that maybe there's something deeper here and and how if we approach it only through the physical, we might miss out on something. Well, I haven't read a book, uh, some kind of, I mean, that's what I would do. I would, I would, I would recommend some kind of book that a simple book that doesn't go, you know, doesn't get too extreme and, and just um, ask them to read that and, and then come back to me and, and tell me, and ask me what, what they thought uh, and, and tell me what they thought and, and ask any questions that they really, that they, that they'd like to ask. So I, I, but I'd have them look into the, into the background first before anything else. Okay. Okay. So take some time to do a little bit of study and understand. Exactly. Yeah. Study is, study is, is, is good to, 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 to a certain extent. You can overdo it like I've done in the past. <laughs> You've got to practice. Right. I'd like to jump if we can. There's an, a question here from Sabina in our audience, Richard, who, uh -huh. says, who says, Richard, thank you for this engaging presentation. Although I'm a superstitious person and enjoy letting numbers influence my decisions, I'm also thinking of how much of our life, our existence is immeasurable. Are numbers one of our ways of making things more easily comprehensible to us or controllable? Well, the number book is 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 not is not like numerology or anything like that. I'm not sure if that's what she's referring to, but um, the the point behind the the number numbers tell a story that that's often hidden from view because people uh, just take numbers for, for for granted. So, for example, the number four 
is number of completion. And so um, when you see num when you see the number four, you know whatever it's numbering is is is, is complete in and of itself. That nothing needs to be a, a added to it. So numbers numbers well for one thing, numbers help to organize material uh, in 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 in, in organized in a, in a, ra a rational or logical way. But they also have a little bit of, of something behind them that's important to know about, like zero, for example. A lot of my friends um, don't think zero is a number. We've had a long conversation, let's say, about zero, and they they, they feel like it's, it's just a placeholder. But um, you know, according to all the mathematicians I, I look at, it, it, it's it's a number. It's, it's a number between one and minus one. And so, you know, for for to see the to see the number zero in yoga, it, it means something, as we as we discussed, and one. And two and three, all those numbers say something about the practice you're doing. One another thing I wanted to ask you about, Richard, is uh, the the balance of Shiva and Shakti in our practice. I'm jumping again here, but I know this is an important element in life and practice. How do you approach teaching this concept to your students? The balance of Shiva and Shakti in our practice and in our life. One of the um, one of the things about modern yoga is that it's too it's too fast it's too it's too rajasic i guess is the word that that the yogis would use it's it's, it's there's too much exercise there's no balance between doing and not doing and so one of the things i try to teach my my students is that don't try so hard it you know trying so hard creates tension creates it, it creates you know grit your teeth and and squeeze your eyes and do all sorts of strange things with your body that doesn't that that's not yoga that doesn't really help you want to you want to you want to do the practice but you want to you want to watch out that you're not forcing yourself to do the practice and so um one of the things i'm really insistent on in my classes and i you know I, I i succeed with some people and i don't with others is that you don't don't try so hard give it give it a chance to, you know to, to let it happen to you and be a little bit more a little bit more passive about what what you're doing it's mostly a problem with the men what few men actually go to yoga nowadays in my classes and i get in there sometimes and there's 15 20 women in the room and there's me and i always say i feel overwhelmed um but you know it's usually the men that that, that really want to do the the hard the hard pounding work and um, it's more easier it's easier to create to, to convince the women that they should back off a little bit and take it easy on themselves right and that that actually allows for the pranic flow through our system absolutely doesn't it absolutely yeah Absolutely, you 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 see it in the groins all the time. Uh, uh, we we do a, a supta, uh, we do a reclining leg stretch with a, with a strap over one leg stretched up in the in, in the air, and you see people pulling on the strap as if that's going to make the stretch bigger in the back of the leg, and it it sort of does, but it also hardens the groins. And when the groins are hard, the, the breath is is stuck, you can't go anywhere. And so one of the things I always do is tell people not to pull on the strap to increase the stretch. But but to keep just pulled down on the foot, provide resistance to push up against. And um, you know my my regular students do that they, they, just automatically now. And I I always have a I always have a, a, a an issue with with, um, with with people that come in right away and they start yanking on the strap and trying to you know you know keep, stretch themselves out as much as they can. You have to be patient when you do yoga. If you force yourself, it, it just doesn't work as well. And then, then the idea is that that bringing that patience and that balance of 
Shiva and Shakti into our practice should translate into how we live our lives as well, right? Harmony. It, it, it creates it creates a feeling of, of balance. Absolutely. And that's and that and I, and I always make the point that, um, that your 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 yoga practice is not something that's isolated from your life. It's pra it's practice for your life. It's not just practice for, for you know stretching your hamstrings or whatever. And so you you know when you when you go out into the world, your 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 movements, your sitting, your your, your walking are, are your asanas. Your breathing, being aware of your breath, is your pranayama, and the way you speak to people is are your mantras. Is your mantras. So you want you want to you want to you want to integrate your life into your practice. How important is yama niyama? I know you've written quite a lot on yama niyama over the years in, in well, terms of life practice. For for classical yoga, essentially, um, yamas and niyamas are preparation for meditation, and, and nothing much more than that. Um, but it's they also have very practical uses uh, as as far as behavioral injunctions are concerned. So you you, you want to tell the truth, you don't want to hurt anybody, and you, you know you want to be you want to study and things like that. But um, there are I went through Georg's Encyclopedia of Yoga one time, and there are, there are, there are at least a hundred different yamas, and so you 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 a lot of a lot of people think that there's just five and five yamas and niyamas, but there's there's dozens and dozens of them, and, and a lot of them have a lot more um, have a lot more uh, um, a lot more ex 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 expansive than, than than what you find in, in the Yoga Sutra. For example, there's there's a there's a there's a yama that says you work for the good of all the world, which is the one I, I like the best. Where do where do you find that particular? Uh... Um, there's one in the Yoga Sutra, uh, not uh, in the Bhagavad Gita somewhere. I, I don't remember. I'll, I'll find it for you and send it to you when I get a chance. So it's actually cultivating this quality of working for the good of helpfulness. The world. Yeah, working for the good of the world. This, 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 I can't think of the Sanskrit right now, but yeah, there, there's a couple of them like that. And you know, there's a lot of emphasis on compassion, and generosity, and uh, hospitality, humility, which is a good thing for a lot of yoga teachers. Um, there, there's just some very positive. Um, so I, 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 I encourage my. I, I, we, I'm doing a, a training right now at, at the school where I teach, and I've, 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 I've given out all these these yamas and niyamas to these to the students and asked them to look them over and try to pick some up, make make up your own yamas and niyamas. Some things that you really resonate with, and can and can really get into it as your for a practice. And the, these these things that we're cultivating. You mentioned that they were traditionally a, a preparation for meditation. What does that Everything, mean? Like? I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say, what does that mean? How would, how would practicing something like nonviolence, ahimsa, be a, prepare me for meditation? Because when you meditate, you're trying to calm yourself down. And violence is, is extremely stimulating. You don't go to see movies called Star Peace. You go to see some movies called Star Wars. The same thing with truth or, or satya. If you're looking for truth, it's not going to help you if, you if you're going to lie. I mean, they have they have consequences in the world, but basically they're there to, to clear out the underbrush and get you ready to sit for for, for asana. That that was that was Patanjali's um, thrust. He was interested in 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 Kaivalya, so everything in that book is 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 geared to Kaivalya. To get to getting you there. I I love the way you close the book. 
Um, and this has been a theme running through our conversation this evening too, Richard. You, you talk about the aim of tantric practice being more of an expansion into union with everything rather than that removing of consciousness from matter. This is obviously an important distinction of, for those of us who are considering our approach to yoga and understanding what our kind of aim is in our practice. I'm wondering if just as, as kind of our, our closing thoughts, can you expand on this a little bit for us and give us some clues as, as practitioners looking to kind of find our direction? How can we skillfully understand what we're going for in our practice and how to choose which direction to go? Well, um, my practice is seeing myself and everybody else. So when I drive down the street and somebody double parks in front of me, I don't, I don't ram into the back of the, of the car. I, I, I say, well, I do that too. So that's the first thing I always say to myself when somebody does something that I don't care for. And I say, how, I look, to, look at myself first to see how I've done it. So, you know, I, I want to make sure that um, I, I associate myself with everybody as, as best I can. I mean, there's some people that are, that are really difficult to, to associate with, but um, I'm trying to look at, um, I, I had a, my wife has a friend who's a, a, a psychic and I, 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 I don't psychics, but I helped him break up a sidewalk one time and, and he gave me a free session. And um, I went in and I, I sat down and he, he contacted his entity and he said, one thing he said to me that really stuck with me, he says, you're not working with people's bodies, you're working with people's souls. And I've always, I've always remembered that, uh, that, that, that one comment, because that's, that's the way I look at my students when they come in the room. I look at their soul as they come in the room to see, to see what they need, to see what I think they need and then how I can help them. That's wonderful. I, I just want to, I can't recommend this book enough, honestly, Richard, as someone who, who practices yoga and is, is very interested in the study. Uh, uh, this is a really helpful and fascinating book. I encourage well, everyone you. to check it out. Uh, yoga by the numbers the sacred and symbolic in yoga philosophy and practice we've been speaking with Richard Rosen who I'm very grateful to thank you so much uh, for thank taking you. the time yeah anytime and uh, wishing you all the best and thanks to our wonderful audience as always Thanks for joining us for Branches of Wisdom, a podcast of Banyan Books and Sound, Canada's spiritual and healing resource since 1970. Our podcast producer is Jacob Steele. The show is edited by Abdo Habani. And I'm your host, Ross Makichi. Watch all our conversations on YouTube by searching for Banyan Books or listen on your favorite podcast platform. Please subscribe, follow, like, and leave your reviews and comments. We love to hear from you. For all our live events, books, and more, visit us at banyan.com.